instead of reading the scripture text that I have for the message that really I think God's put on my heart for today, I want to paraphrase it for you. And it's a very familiar passage of scripture that I hope will not do injustice for me just paraphrasing it. Jesus said to his disciples one day, who do men say that I am? And they begin to say, well, some say you're Elijah or some say you're John the Baptist come back to life. And then he said, but who do you say I am? And Peter confessed, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, Peter. You didn't figure this out, but the spirit of God revealed it to you. And on this rock, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. And he said, now don't tell anybody just yet what you've discussed here today. Jesus gives us a very strong statement about the life of the church. And what I want to do this morning is try to impress upon you some of the things that we can know for certain about the future of this church. Bob, I think what you had to say was right on Right on target. Appreciate that because it fits right into what I want to say this morning. And if you have your notes out, let me just give you some of those fill-ins, and you can think about this later. We can talk about it later. First of all, Jesus himself is the foundation for the church. It's not really Peter who's the foundation of the church. That's where we have a major disagreement with our Catholic brothers and sisters. And Jesus not only is the foundation of the church, Jesus himself builds the church. He said, I will build my church. And the third thing he said is that this church will be successful because the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. It is a guarantee that the church will ultimately have victory. But now keep in mind at this point, he's not talking about an individual local congregation. He's talking about the church, the universal church, the big C church. Now, let's come down to some present statistics. Did you know, and probably you didn't, that this year, 2018, approximately 3,500 to 4,000 churches in America will close up shop and quit? 3,500 to 4,000. It kind of varies between those two numbers in the last several years. Now, on the positive side, there are probably that many new churches that are going to start. How about that? So if we close down 3,500 to 4,000, we start another 3,500 to 4,000. What does that mean? We're just kind of treading water. And what's happening to the population of the country? It continues to grow. Bob made mention of the population of Mount Pleasant. How big was Mount Pleasant when you were growing up? How many population was there? I have no idea, but nobody wanted to live over there. Nobody wanted to live over there? <laughs> Three or 4,000 people maybe? 5,000? And they say today it's 90 about 90,000? 114 in my graduating class. 114 in graduating class. Last year at Wando High School, the graduating class was well over 1,000. So it tells you the kind of growth. How many churches are there? Not enough. No matter how many churches we've started in Mount Pleasant, there aren't enough that if everybody wanted to go to church, they could find a seat. Let's just put it that way. So what's happening? Follow with me closely because I don't have time to expound on this. The church that Jesus founded has a life cycle. That is the local congregation that Jesus founded has a life cycle. And depending on what church expert you listen to, that life cycle has anywhere from three to seven stages. 
Let's just look at it as a bell-shaped curve. If you start over on this side where the church launches, somebody had a vision. Highland Park Baptist Church had some people who had a vision for a church in this community, didn't they? They were members of a church already, but because they lived here and felt like there was plenty of people to reach for a church to be here, they had a vision and launched this church in 1958 for what purpose? To reach people. So that by the time Aubrey got here, you were having 350 to 400 people in worship. And that was regular, wasn't it? That wasn't strange. And so after a church has this launching point, it seems to grow, strategic growth, excited growth, sometimes monumental growth, but it reaches that peak. And usually what happens in the normal life cycle of a church is that peak, whatever that time is, whatever that number is, there's only one way to go. You go down the other side of that curve until finally the church dies. Now, among our own Southern Baptists here in South Carolina, they tell us that somewhere between 80 and 90% of all Southern Baptist churches in this state are either plateaued at the top of their bell curve or they're declining. And many times, churches that are plateaued are only there by the grace of God and, hear this in a nice way, transfer growth. Many of you transferred your membership to this church. And without the transfer growth at Highland Park Church, where would we be today? It's based in many churches on transfer growth and baptizing our own children. And so the church has a life cycle. And there is a critical point in this cycle where a church must renew the vision and start the cycle again. Or, if that doesn't happen, the church is due to die a long, slow death. Now just be kind. Look around you for a moment. Think about who's sitting around you, behind you, in front of you. How many of these people are going to be here in the next 10 years? 20 years? I mean, how many times, Bob, have you and I shared funeral service for some of our longtime friends? And how many more funeral services does this church need to have to realize something's got to give? I mean, some of us don't have much hair and some have gray hair. I tell people I, my hair comes in four stages, bald, fuzz, is, and was, <laughs> you know. And uh, sometimes our membership is kind of like that too, isn't it? Bald, fuzz, is, and was. So here's what I want to focus on for the next few minutes, and I promise I'll be less than an hour, <laughs> much less than an hour. Seven things. And, and they go like this. First of all, the church cannot simply make things new and improved to institute change. This is what many churches try. One of the most popular, successful, famous advertising bits is new and improved. Look on a product you'd pick off the shelf at the grocery store or at the drugstore. And how many times they say on the label, new and improved. Oh, that's good. It's better than the last one we got. It's new and improved. And sometimes in the church, we think, well, that didn't work very well. So this time, let's do it better. Let's do it harder. 
Let's do it more diligently. Let's get more people involved. We think if we do the same things over and over and keep on trying to get better and better and better, we'll have success. But if what we did didn't work by doing it better, you think that's going to work? Probably not. We learned that with Bonnie Doon, those of you who know about Bonnie Doon. I know a lot of men in this church went to Bonnie Doon to work. I remember going with some of you guys to Bonnie Doon way back when I was here. And so some of the friends of Bonnie Doon said, you know what's happened at Bonnie Doon is we just haven't gotten the word out and we haven't had good management. And, we, and so we said, okay, you run Bonnie Doon. It didn't work. There's a new paradigm. There's a new culture. The age has changed, just like Bob said. Things aren't the same anymore. We do not have a Christocentric culture that we live in like we did in the 1950s. It is not a given that people understand they need God in their lives, that people want to be a part of a church. It is not something that the whole population is just dying to come to. We can't just revise, make it new and improve. Number two, you have to think like this. We are planting a new church. Back in the days of Mount Pleasant, when we were considering starting a new church, we didn't know what it was going to look like, what it would be called. We didn't know if it was going to be an extension of First Baptist. At first, we thought, we'll just move all of First Baptist out to where that property is. Bob's mother told me she actually voted against buying that property. Did you know this, Bob? I said, Irene, you voted against buying that property to put Life Park on? She said, yeah, because I didn't think we'd ever need a church out there. Wouldn't be anybody living out there ever, you know? And so what we need to realize when we look forward is, is let's discern. If you're going to start, let's just say you go to a new country. Let's say you go to this country that doesn't have any Christians. And you've been given a pile of money, and you've been given a, several people who are going to go with you, and you're going to start a church in this pagan place where nobody's ever started the church before. What would you do? I'll tell you what you wouldn't do. The first thing you wouldn't do is build a red brick church building with a steeple on top, would you? What good would that do? Nobody knows what a church building looks like anyway. Why would you want to build something like that? So if we're here in Hanahan and our goal is to reach lost people for Christ, I guess that's our goal, isn't it? What do we do to reach lost people in Hanahan for Christ? Well, here's what we've been doing. Well, we're going to have church now. Y'all come. Going to have church. Going to have it at 8.30. Going to have it at 11 o'clock. And if you want to get saved, come on in and join us and we'll tell you how to get saved. And you can get saved and we'll baptize you and we'll tell you what to do. How, how's that working for you? <laughs> that doesn't work very well, does it? Just announcing, just putting up a building, just having services. That's not the way to win the loss to Christ. There's a lot more to it than that and I think you know that. Number three, you have to determine the purpose of the church. Here's the strategic question. Who is the church for? Who's this church for? Now, I know it's not a simple answer, but let me give you two simple possibilities. And I understand this is simplistic. You've got to go deeper than this. One possibility is we say, well, this church is for Christians, people who already know the Lord, and we're going to focus everything on making those people more comfortable and we're going to teach them all the doctrines of the Bible. And we're going to teach them all kinds of verses and songs. And everything we do in this church is designed to make those who are already believers really feel at home and part of the big group of the church. And everything's going to be focused on us. 
You know, I think if you took everybody who slept in church and laid them end to end, they'd be more comfortable. (laughs) Wouldn't they? Yeah. Here's the second answer. What if we designed a church whose sole purpose was to attract and win lost people to Jesus? What if we asked this question? How can we touch the lives of people who aren't Christians, who aren't saved, or maybe some who once professed faith in Jesus, but for whatever reason they left the church, they no longer attend worship anywhere, they're just sort of dropouts. Maybe they believe, maybe they don't, but they're, they're, just, they're needy, spiritually needy. How do you reach them? I'll tell you what not to do. Don't tell them, okay, now wear your best suit and your tie, shine your shoes, and come in around 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. And we'll help you. That doesn't work. It doesn't work. We tried it. It doesn't work. So if we're going to ask this question, who would you say, who would you vote that we make the church for? One man said it this way some time ago. He said, our church exists for those who aren't members yet. And so we gear our ministries, we gear our programs, we gear our staff, we design our building with those people in mind. Number four, we must evaluate every program, ministry, event, and staff member by this question. Will this lead us to accomplish our purpose? You know, sometimes we we do some good things. This is number five. We do some good things at the expense of the best things. Now, I I don't have a plan in mind. I I don't have anything in mind that I'm trying to kill or change here at, at Highland Park Church. We do a lot of good things at this church. We do. The question I would ask is, are we doing the best thing we can do with our resources, with our time, with our talent? Are we doing the best things? Are we doing the things that last for eternity or the things that last for time? Now, I don't have the answer to that question. I think we need to find out that answer. I think part of my job as your interim pastor is to help you begin to pray toward, think toward, discuss. Maybe we need to bring in some outside resources. We need to figure that out. You can spend your money, spend your time doing good things for God and neglect the best things. Neglect those things that are important for the sake of eternity and not just for the sake of time. Things that will impact people's lives for heaven or hell, and not just make people feel good along the way. We have a man in South Carolina named Reggie McNeil who used to work for our South Carolina Baptist Convention and now works with a group called Leadership Network. And Reggie has discovered what he thinks is a new wave of ministry that will allow opportunities for sharing the gospel. And that is to partner with local schools and to teach kids how to read. Don't you know that so many children who go into our public schools these days have struggles reading? Now I know some schools are better than others. Some school districts and local schools are worse than others. But I know at a church downtown Charleston, it's called First Baptist Charleston, just in case you might know it. They've had a ministry for some time now teaching kids how to read in the public schools. That may be an answer. I don't know. Number six, you must put much trust in the leadership you select. 
much trust. Do you trust the leaders of this church? It is so difficult for a program leader in this church to spend money because you have to have so many sign-offs and signatures and okays and permissions. You gotta check with this one, you gotta check with that one, you gotta make sure this one. I'm not fussing and complaining, I'm just making an observation. And what that says to me is you don't trust these people. You just don't trust them. So we have to have a lot of checks and balances. Gotta have a lot of, you know, a lot of organizational stuff. Because everybody has to know all the business of everything all the time. And what you're doing is you're creating a structure for a small church that's going to keep on getting smaller. Because when you trust leadership, you have to give them responsibility and resources and room to grow and let them go. Oh, there needs to be some check and balance, obviously. But I think sometimes it gets out of hand. And there needs to be a level of trust that may not be present today in our church. And then one last thing. You must continually evaluate and revise. Evaluate a program, evaluate a ministry, and revise it and revise it, or it can become irrelevant and ineffective. The old story has been told a lot. Maybe you've heard it. But this uh, couple got married, and uh, he worked outside the home. She was a homemaker, and uh, she began cooking his meals and doing everything. And he noticed one day after they had eaten a nice supper that the pot roast that she had cooked for them was cut into two pieces. And he said, honey, did, did you cut this after you cooked it or before you cooked it? She said, well, I always cut it in two before I cook it. And he said, well, why do you do that? And she said, well, come to think of it, I do it because that's what my mother always did. Every time she cooked a pot roast, she cut it in two and, and put it in the pot, and she cooked it. So he said, well, why does your mother do that? He said, she said, I don't know. Let's ask her. So the next time they were at his mother-in-law's, she said, Mom, you know how when you cooked a pot roast when we were kids growing up, you always cut it in two, and then you put it in the pot to cook it. Can you tell me why you did that? She said, oh, yeah, it's very simple. She said, the pot I used was too small for the size roast we needed to feed the family, so I had to cut it in two to make it fit the pot. Isn't it amazing how we keep following the same old thing without really knowing why? Now, here's, here's something that is, is right along with that. Do you know why most traditional churches in America start their worship service at 11 o'clock? You know why? It was because in rural America, I mean in the pioneer days, most people had animals at home, like chickens, hogs, cows, and they had to feed the chickens, they had to milk the cows. They had to take care of their animals, slop the hogs. And then they had to clean up and go to church. And by that time, they completed their chores and got cleaned up and went to church at 11 o'clock was about the right time to get there. And there are some Baptists I've known over the past, it's not anybody here. It's in another church in another place, not here. I want you to know that. When we try to change the service time from 11 o'clock, you've never heard such screaming and squawking and squealing. 
you changed my time. I can't come at any other time. I wonder why that is. We get so wrapped up in our forms, wrapped up in our own culture, that we lose sight of the object. Now, if you take that bell-shaped curve again, you know, you launch it over here, you grow to a point, and you stop growing, and you plateau, and it remains to be seen exactly how long a church can stay on that plateau with enough transfer growth and enough biological baptism, you might stay there for a good little while. But eventually, that, that church is going to start sliding. The numbers are going to go down. Can anybody tell me the last time this church had 400 in worship? It's not today. There's not 400 people here today. Maybe not even 300. You see, what's happened is this church has already gone over the hill. And unless we check that slide, we're going to become irrelevant if we're not already irrelevant. You think the people across the street care that we're having church right now? You think they even know except for the cars out around the building? Does it really matter to anybody in Hanahan that this church exists and has worship services on Sunday morning? You see, unless something changes, our church could go into oblivion and die a long, slow death. So the question then is, what are we going to do? I wish I had a simple way to fix it. There is not a simple way. It will take a lot of prayer, a lot of effort. It will take a lot of oomph. And, and many of you may think to yourself, I don't have anything left to give. Well, you probably do and just don't know it. And some of you, well, let, let me say this first. I won't ask you to raise your hands, but how many of you know somebody who used to be active in this church, but now they left and go into another church? Yeah. Yeah. And some of you here may think, well, I'm not, I'm not going to hang around here much longer if something doesn't give. And I say, what needs to give? I don't know. People said to me since I've been here the last two or three months, we need to change. I said, what do you think we need to change? I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. Something needs to change. You know, I've begun to change the three Sundays in a row now. I haven't worn a tie. <laughs> so, something's got to change. I'm starting that much change. <laughs> I don't know how important that is. I have you to know I did bring a suit jacket to wear, but my wife said it had a stain on it, so I decided not to wear it. It's in the <laughs> office in there. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. This generation... You, this generation determines what's going to happen in the next 60 years. This generation, you. And some of you think, well, I'm too old to change. No, you're not. No, you're not. You just fooled yourself to think that. You can change if you will. We need to relaunch this great church to maintain and even surpass its former glory. And by the grace of God and the willingness of those who are committed to this ministry, it can happen. And you need to ask yourself this question, am I willing? Am I willing to make whatever change is necessary for God's glory and the glory of this congregation? Make whatever changes we need to make. That's the question.
Now let's stand up together. We're going to have our closing prayer and then we're going to sing our closing song and then you can go to the picnic or if you want to go home and change clothes, do that. Our Father, we know that you have a wonderful plan for your people known as Highland Park Baptist Church. We know that, Lord, because it's not your will that any little congregation that it should perish. It's not your will, Lord, that when you started this church 60 years ago that one day it would come to its end. Lord, it's your will that the church continually be renewed by your spirit, by your power, by your might. And we pray that you'll let it happen. In Jesus' name, amen.